We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week, a roundup of the top news stories from around the island over the past seven days. I'm Keith Menconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio today is Gavin Phipps, also of ICRT News. Gavin. Hey, good evening. And also in studio with us today is Ross Feingold of DC International Advisory. Ross. Good evening. Today on the show, we're talking about the latest round of trade talks between the U.S. and Taiwan, a new trade and investment strategy specially focusing on South and Southeast Asia that is being claimed by both the opposition and the administration, and potential moves from the government to provide some relief to workers hit by the country's sagging economy. Okay, so trade deals, investment strategy, economic policy, all kind of dry stuff. Lucky for us, we were paid a visit this week by Typhoon Dujuan. Uh, not only did it moisten things up, but it also stirred up some controversies. And at the eye of the storm, once again, is Taipei Mayor Ko Wenjie. So last time around uh, that we had a typhoon, Ko got blamed for the muddy water situation faced by many Taipei residents. This time, uh, his administration was much more quick to shut off water supplies to households receiving mucky water. But now he's not being blamed for the mud in the water He's being blamed for the good weather. Uh, Gavin, tell us about that. Yes, well, the Taipei mayor and the Jilung mayor and the new Taipei mayor all called a typhoon holiday on Tuesday. And some people were outraged by this. Quite why you'd be outraged and not having to go to work is beyond me. But there were some people that were quite irked about not having to go to work. Because, of course, on Tuesday, come about 9 o'clock in the morning, the skies were quite clear. Anyway, Kerwin Jie, new Taipei mayor Eric Chu and the Jilung mayor all sort of poked their fingers at each other and said, it was him, no, it was him, no, it was him, no, it was him, no, it, was, it wasn't me, it was him. And then Kerwin Jur, the Taipei mayor, finally came out and he said, OK, we made a mistake. Right, and so part of why the decision was so difficult to make was uh, because it was very borderline for New Taipei City, the wind levels. It was just barely uh, high enough wind levels to say New Taipei City should have it, and then the other cities followed suit. Uh, and then, But they were saying the main reason that they made this decision was because there were so many people that were stuck in different cities. Well, they, they did. I mean, I, I, although I, I had to work, so it didn't bother me one way or the other. But, and of course, this is one of those you're damned if you do, if you're damned if you don't situations. But there were concerns because obviously Monday was a holiday, a public holiday. It was the mid-autumn festival. And many people, of course, travel for the three-day three weekend holiday. And because the typhoon on Monday caused such havoc with the train systems and the bus systems in some parts of the country... People were stranded. People couldn't even got to work on Tuesday. Right. So, so, so Gavin, are you, are, you, are you saying the mayors awarded the holiday in the interest of people returning actually, home and not well, because of safety due to storm conditions? Well, both. I presume. I mean, obviously, again, it was one of those things. It came overnight and it was still around Tuesday morning. So obviously there was concern about people going to work Tuesday morning. Well, one of the big challenges in this situation is that the decision has been decentralized. It could be made at the city or county government level. 
And uh, even though their intentions are certainly good, they are relying on weather forecast information that comes from the central government. So as you pointed out, Gavin, it does lead to the situation where people can point fingers. So at the local level, city, county, they could say, well, I was relying on weather data from the Central Weather Bureau at, at the central government level. It came late. It came unclear. They didn't give me guidance. And, and of course, the Central Weather Bureau is going to say, look, we just provide data. Whether or not to decide to close offices and schools is up to you. Uh, I think we need to have a good conversation about whether this decision should be made at a higher level, a central government level. Although clearly people like the fact that uh, decision-making has been decentralized, and that's been the trend over the last 25 years in Taiwan. But uh, for a decision as, as important as this, maybe it needs to be made by a single government official at the central government level. But then you have to have a single government official who's willing to take the blame. Well, now we have three mayors who are who might not be willing might to take the blame. All pointing the finger at each other. Yeah. Although I still really don't understand why anyone complained about getting a day <laughs> off. And what was more <laughs> ironic about this is poor Tainan. Of course, because Tainan, Kaohsiung, Pingdong and Taidong in the south didn't declare typhoon holidays on Tuesday. And the mayor of Tainan took flack for that in the council chamber on Wednesday when well, he was but, accused yeah, but he of need, not having a holiday. He needs the people to come into work and, and um, fumigate the mosquitoes due to the well, they have fever to, problem. They'd have to do that anyway. They couldn't do that in the rain anyway. But he was damned because he didn't call a typhoon holiday. Well, part of the problem also is it wasn't just this decentralized decision-making and, and the potential for different decisions in neighboring jurisdictions. It's also... Some jurisdictions initially said, we'll give them a half day. It'll be a half day holiday, but you got to work in the afternoon. That was the 8 p.m. announcement. And then the 9 p.m. announcement was... Well, we'll make it a full day holiday. Right. So again, where people might live in, in New Taipei, but they work downtown in Taipei City, if, if you, this confusion, what am I going to do with my child, child care, whether they're going to have a half day of school, uh, but I got to go in in the morning. And it, it, it does lead to a lot of confusion. And we, we should keep in mind that this has substantial impact on the economy, uh, not just a half day or a full day or, or in neighboring jurisdictions. Just this whole confusion uh, really does have a, a, a negative impact on the economy, and, and hopefully it could be avoided next time. Yeah, and it does, uh, just based on the reporting that I've seen, it does sound like the, the various mayors were on the phone with one another on Monday night trying to work all this out. Uh, came to a, a series of different decisions and kind of stumbled through this decision-making process. So definitely, we would hope that they get their act together a little bit and it's a more clear process next time around. But I still don't understand why anyone will complain about getting a day off work. Can someone <laughs> no. explain that basic we get that. system we to get me, that. really? We do get that. We do get that. I think it's the confusion more than anything else that people are upset about. Uh, but, you know, gladly... Uh, this uh, particular typhoon didn't have too much of a punch to it, not nearly as much uh, damage as came out from uh, Sotolor earlier this year. So we can at least be thankful for that. Up next, trade talks came to Taipei this week. Deputy United States Trade Representative Robert Holliman is in town meeting with his Taiwanese counterpart uh, for the latest round of trade and investment framework agreement talks. Uh, we're just going to call that TIFA talks from here on in. Just to keep things simple. And these TIFA talks were actually uh, supposed to take place much earlier this year. But the U.S. side says uh, they were delayed to give some more time for it to work out issues related to another agreement that it's uh, kind of working out. The Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP. Uh, and it's working on that with a number of Pacific Rim countries. Uh, so the TIFA talks kicked off yesterday. And uh, U.S. officials say there was progress made in a number of areas 
Uh, but it looks like some little U.S. piggies could blow the whole framework down. Uh, is that right, Ross? Well, pork is the most significant issue in, in, in the U.S.-Taiwan trade relationship. It's an important relationship for both sides. We shouldn't underestimate the size and importance of, of, of bilateral trade. Uh, I, if I recall correctly, Taiwan's trade surplus with the U.S. runs about 12 to $15 billion a year, depending on, on the size of IT exports, which is linked to global economic conditions. So it, it's a crucial relationship for Taiwan and, and very important for U.S. exports as well. But the, the greatest frustration right now from the U.S. side is with the, the rack topamine rules um, from the Taiwan side, which also was an issue with beef exports from, from the U.S. a few years ago. And, and Taiwan, uh, under great pressure from the U.S., re- reduced uh, the rules on, on, on the beef side. But there was tremendous uh, opposition from the Taiwan's pork industry to changing the rules on pork. Thus, the rules mm-hmm. remain in place. And U.S. pork that has uh, levels of ractopamine um, that uh, Taiwan has decided are too excessive, which arguably is is a a rule that's unique to Taiwan um, it's not not a universal view uh, but but under this pressure then then the beef uh, sorry the pork exports from the US were banned and uh, arguably this was a uh, protectionist measure by the government of Taiwan under pressure from its pork industry which is a big domestic industry the beef industry is not as powerful here um, and arguably uh, the US uh, gave some other benefits to Taiwan when, when Taiwan uh, re- relax the rules on beef, uh, although both sides would deny that there's a, a political uh, a quid pro quo. Yeah, they deny that. But um, by coincidence, visa-free entry for Taiwan sort of happened very quickly mm. after uh, beef was resolved. Uh, an interesting aspect of this is that Taiwan's domestic pork industry has its own problems, mm. such as foot and, and or hoof and, and, and yeah. you know, <laughs> mouth disease. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. Uh, their exports are not welcome in certain markets as well. <laughs> mm. But on the other hand, they will not welcome in the U.S. exports because of this. And, and without movement on the Taiwan side, I would expect the U.S. Uh, to resist uh, any further progress with other uh, trade agreements, including, unfortunately for Taiwan, its entry in, into the TPP. Right. That's the further down the line, isn't it? Aren't they looking for a bilateral investment agreement to be signed first? Wasn't that the point? Well, of this exactly. And, 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 and that level of progress is going to be delayed uh, until there's a resolution on the pork industry. Pork industry, uh, it's important in the U.S. And, and more specifically, it's important to certain members of Congress who otherwise are very friendly to Taiwan, but they come from agricultural exporting states and specifically states with, with a pork industry. Uh, it. it this issue is a political issue for the U.S. side in the sense that politicians in the U.S. are well aware of Taiwan's rules on pork. And it's uh, a point that, if left unresolved, will prevent Taiwan from either having this bilateral investment agreement or entering the TPP talks. I don't believe the EU allows rat topamine in its pork either. Well, uh, the, the, again, the, the levels of ractopamine that are allowed, is it's still somewhat under dispute globally. Um, there, there's a global standards organization called Codex, and, and arguably Taiwan's rules are inconsistent with that, and that's something that the U.S. side keeps mentioning. Uh, the, the studies 
which might only come from one side, the pork producers. But if you believe the studies, they indicate that, that this is not dangerous. The level that's in U.S. pork exports, it's consumed domestically in the U.S., right? This is not something that's being added only to export. So I grew up on it. Uh... <laughs> I'm not quite sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, though, Ross. Is that a good advertisement for U.S. pork or rather a lame advertisement for U.S. pork? Well, the, the, the fact is that almost all non organic, uh, free-range, however you want to describe it, uh, poultry, beef, pork, has some of these additives in it. And, and that's the case all over the world, and including the domestically produced product here in Taiwan. They use their own so, leanness enhancers here, actually, don't they? Uh, well, they, again, they, they use a number of additives here <laughs> as well. So uh, it, it's not accurate just to say that uh, you know, it's, it's targeted at Taiwan or it's unfair to Taiwan. Uh, U.S. consumers and other consumers do do consume pork products that have this, uh, and and again, Taiwan relented on on the beef. So, why is it safe for Taiwan consumers to eat the beef that has this level of ractaplin? And let, let's be very clear: we are talking minute levels of this. But why is it safe in the beef, but not the pork, if it's not meant to protect the domestic pork producers? All right. Well, we're going to have to uh, – we can't quite resolve that debate on this show, unfortunately. Uh, I want to move to kind of the more uh, – how this these types of agreements play domestically because there was, in fact, a little bit of a protest staged outside uh, of the Ministry of Economic Affairs as these talks were going on. And uh, I think that the, the, the main complaint from these protesters w- was just that these uh, – Negotiations were going on in such a non-transparent way. Uh, the public has wanted to be consulted more in how these agreements are developed, uh, and uh, that they say that just hasn't happened. So uh, as, as these talks go forward, uh, do we see this kind of public pressure increasing or, or playing any kind of significant role in, in whether or not these uh, agreements actually happen? Well, this, this point came out during, during the dispute over the services agreement with China, where the Ma administration was accused by by opponents of the agreement of, of negotiating the agreement behind closed doors without transparency. And as President Ma repeatedly said, is you need to have some flexibility to negotiate a trade agreement and then present it to, uh, in Taiwan's case, the legislative UN, parliament, and other countries in the public for a discussion. But you at least need the flexibility or the discretion to negotiate the agreements behind closed doors. And as President Ma pointed out, to and to be fair to him, he was correct. That's generally how trade negotiations occur most places around the world. You know, each side needs to have the confidence that the other side is offering something that, uh, in theory, it could at least get through its parliament. Um, so uh, to be fair to the government, uh, there, there has to be some element of, of discretion and confidentiality in, in these agreements. It's what's, once something is agreed and you present it to the public that the public will get a chance to comment. Now, one one thing we could take confidence in is that opponents of, of the TIFA or in the future TPP or other trade agreements do have the ability to protest. Yeah, and unlike some of the other jurisdictions in, that are uh, attempting to join the TPP, uh, public protests are not allowed. So uh, there's certainly ample opportunity for opponents in Taiwan to make their voice heard on this. Well, the, the big concern that we should have is we're getting very close to the uh, election season or to the election day here in Taiwan for both the president and the legislative UN. And uh, it'll take some time for new new members of the legislative UN or, or new members of the next government, regardless of who wins, to take up their posts and get up, get up to speed on these issues. Uh, so there might be a delay 
in, in progress on these talks, not because uh, whoever wins doesn't like the trade agenda. It's just getting up to speed and learning where things stand. So th- there's a lot of reason to expect significant delay in progress on this. And, and part of that is, is uh, the protests, but, but that's not going to be the entire reason why. Yeah, the TIFA protests yeah. are pretty minimal. Uh, yeah, I don't want to overplay China, that. The China packed protest was huge. Well, yeah, the interesting the thing, Gavin, is, is quite you know, Taiwan is often praised for being a place with an extraordinarily large number of small and medium businesses that, that are, are, are the real backbone of the economy, not just the very large famous uh, companies. And a lot of those small and medium enterprises are in the export business or they're linked to it. Uh, so... Or, or they, you know, they're in the chain, right? They're in the logistics chain or the manufacturing chain uh, for, for things that are ultimately exported. So here in Taiwan, we benefit from people generally understanding and being supportive of the need for Taiwan to be a, a, a participant in, in global flows of, of goods and, and people and capital. Well, I think the problem is because, of course, you, you, could, you could argue, of course, the 1970s was made in Hong Kong and the 1980s was made from Taiwan. But of course, back in the 1980s, when Taiwan was exporting all these products and making a mint, the public wasn't aware of what was going on. It just sat back and went, oh, we're doing this. We can export our goods to the world. And all of a sudden, the world came to them and said, well, you can't quite export all these things to the world unless you import some of our things. Well, that, that, that's one of the benefits, you could say, of, of Taiwan, as you describe it, making a mint in, in the 80s and, and Taiwan becoming a, a, a more developed economy, which this is a good thing, right? Let's, this is not bad. Uh, but, but that increases the interest of, of companies from outside Taiwan of coming to Taiwan and making investments in, in areas such as the services industry. Uh, and that, that leads to disputes over, over a reduction of uh, trade and other entry barriers to doing business in Taiwan. And, and other than something very specific like pork, those kinds of barriers or the elimination of such barriers is, is going to uh, be very prominent in whether Taiwan could enter the TPP or the RCEP. All right. Well, certainly uh, the political landscape is uh, changing quite a bit, so it's a little bit difficult to see where all these trade talks are going, but uh, perhaps some delays. So maybe a lot more good stuff to look forward to can give us more grist for the mill for months and years to come. But we're going to have to wrap up the first half here. When we come back, go south, young man. We talk about competing policy platforms to up trade and investment in Southeast Asia. And Taiwan's workers already feeling the pain from this economic slowdown. We talk about what the government might do about it. All that is coming up after the break. And we're back to Taiwan this week. Guys, here to his weekly roundup of news from around the island. I'm Keith Manconi, joined by Gavin Phipps and Ross Feingold. Kicking off the second half, what we're really talking about when we talk about going south. Ministry of Foreign Affairs came out this week to tout its efforts to up trade links with Southeast Asia, pointing out that over the past several years, it has made a push to set up offices and discuss bilateral trade, agricultural and fishery cooperation with a number of countries in that region. These statements were a clear response to presidential candidate Tsai Ing-wen's own announcement last week of her campaign pledge to carry out a new southward policy. Uh, so basically what the government is saying uh, is, Tsai, what you're calling for isn't new. We've been doing it all along for the past several years. Uh, but let's put that dispute aside as to who came up with this first. Uh, let's put that aside for a moment and unpack what it is that is really going on here. Uh, and in my view, uh, when a DPP candidate comes out and says, 
I want to push ties、uh, with Southeast Asia. The perception, at least, is that she's not just saying yes to Southeast Asia,、uh, but she's also saying no to China to some extent.、Uh, Ross, do you, do you see that dimension here?、Uh, there's no doubt, and and not focusing on on trade links with China avoids discussions about things that fall under the ECFA framework, which. Are agreements that Taiwan should be bound and, and bound to complete the framework, but whether or not the new government will have an interest in doing that, whether or not the other side will have an interest in doing that with the new government in Taiwan remains to be seen. Of course, it's, it's a big unknown. So、uh, it, it's good from a strategic perspective to offer another idea,、uh, but. As you identify, there are a lot of valid questions to be asked. And for starters,、uh, the the assumption that Taiwan's current government has not been making efforts to expand trade links with、uh, Southeast Asia and in India,、uh, you know, it, it's probably unfair to say that they haven't made progress. Because the reality is,、uh, as the government claims, they have made progress on these issues. And there, there's been some political achievements as well. The government cites stopover of, of President Ma's plane when he's traveling, so he got to refuel in, in, in India, which arguably is an important political accomplishment. If it's something that was not allowed before but has happened now,、mm-hmm. then it only happened on the basis of, of lengthy negotiations, and it's an achievement、uh, given Taiwan's diff- difficult diplomatic situation. But back to the business side, the fact is there has been achievements. Uh, talks continue. Now, ultimately, though, this is up to the private sector. So, so the government's ability to force industry to invest in one location versus another is very limited. Money and and investment is going to go where it's best for the private sector, and it should be left up to them. Now, the, the the limited ability of the of the government to sort of guide this is in areas such as high tech and very sensitive、uh, businesses where the government has had policies to limit investment in China. For strategically sensitive IT, IT design activities,、uh, but even those restrictions over the years, at the behest of the companies involved, those restrictions have been relaxed over time.、Uh, so, for Southeast Asia、uh, and possibly India, a lot of the investment is in traditional industries. It's in factories,、uh, people that make shoes and, and textiles and chemicals, things like that. Which is going to be done wherever it's best for the businesses. If it's best to have that operation in China、uh, rather than Indonesia at a given moment, then it's not up to the government to dictate that. But you also got, of course, Honda High is expanding into India now with its high tech. Because of course, India is a huge high tech market. Mobile phone madness, basically, w- w- which which they're doing at, at their own decision, or or you could argue you know, the government would argue that part of Honhai's ability to do that is based on the efforts of the government to create a better investment environment for Taiwan companies in India. So again, we, it's not fair to say that the current administration has not been making efforts to. Uh, facilitate business and investment and trade ties, etc., with the countries in ASEAN or in India. And in fact, one of the government's achievements with regard to India has been the expansion of the number of representative offices and staff in India. So the number of techros and techros staff in India has expanded. And again, this is something that only occurred after a lengthy negotiation between the Taiwan government and the Indian government. And one of the reasons. Taiwan government, I'm sorry, Taiwan companies were reluctant to invest in India. There's a number of reasons, but one of the reasons when I would talk to Taiwan companies is they would say we don't have the government on the ground support. We don't have enough techro officials or trade development officials from Taiwan government agencies who are on the ground and can to assist us. And that's something that 
the President Ma's government and, and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs has put some effort into with success. So it, it's not entirely fair to say that they haven't been focusing on these regions. Myanmar as well. They're, opening a, they're looking to open a trade office in Myanmar. Well, that, that's that been more of a political issue because the former military government uh, did, did not want to invite Taiwan. They had an extremely close relationship with the People's think, Republic of China. safely say they're supported by Beijing. Which now in the new environment in, in Myanmar has changed. So as Myanmar has sought to reduce its reliance on, on Beijing, uh, that kind of issue where, where, where Beijing would say, well, don't let Taiwan open an office, it's going to disappear. And, and notwithstanding the fact that there's no Taiwan representative office in Myanmar or in, in Cambodia, both of those countries have been significant destinations for Taiwan investment. In fact, Taiwan companies are some of the most significant foreign investors in both of those countries. And some of it, of course, is illegal. Uh, well, of course, for the- Cambodia and Taiwan have this history of rather nefarious events taking well, Cam- place. Cam- Cambodia has been a good place for retired gangsters from Taiwan to um, enjoy their, their uh, second career. But I believe but- that moving on to the serious things rather than the gangsters, I believe Myanmar is going to open a trade office in Taiwan. This is on the cards, but there's still questions about Taiwan opening a trade office in Myanmar. Uh, the I- capital of the country, Ross, which name I cannot remember. Well, it's now called Nyapada. It's no longer Rangoon. Yes. Very good, very good. <laughs> you just rolled right off your... That was impressive. That was impressive. All right. Uh, so we're actually uh, running out of time, so we're going to have to uh, leave that international issue. But uh, we're going to stick with economics for this next one. Government officials said this week that Taiwan looks on course to fall below 1% of economic growth this year. And the island's workforce is feeling the hurt. Uh, We've had a number of reports recently of technology firms cutting jobs or forcing employees to go on unpaid furlough. Uh, Well, Gavin, uh, the labor ministry, says that they've got some tricks up their sleeves to help those workers. They've got 20 billion of them. 20 billion NT to subsidize employees who opt to engage in training courses during their furloughs. Mm. I love the word furloughs. It's like you were laid off, you're not getting paid, so take a furlough. It's a, a nice, nice way of saying. It's a nice way of fluffing I've it. Got up. Nothing to do today. I'm not being paid. I'm on furlough. Gavin, do they still get that money if it's a typhoon holiday? There's a questions about that, though, Ross. <laughs> questions about that. But then you have to get you have to be able to name the Myanmar capital to get any money from the government. So you'd be safe. Uh, well, <laughs> but uh, most countries, most developed economies, do have these kinds of programs for workers who are displaced by. Uh, the, the flows are good. So the, in free trade, so this, course, go, this, this links to what we've been talking about in some of the earlier segments. Exports are down, which has caused all these problems. Right. So, so we call this trade adjustment assistance in the United States, and it's programs to help workers who get displaced by, by trade flows. Uh, what, what we often see, certainly in the United States, with, with these kinds of programs is they cost a lot of money. People get some training ideally with some new skills, but then we don't see very good value for the money with these programs. And, and that's why a lot of people in the U.S. Uh, oppose it on, on economic reasons. These programs don't well, provide good value for the money. you're teaching them, doesn't it? Well, that, but we're I mean, getting yeah. to a situation where, where government is trying to decide, decide what, what, to, what, te- teach what to teach you, people. What to teach you, yeah, yeah. Of course, at the moment, there's apparently 11,448-odd employees who have been laid off since the beginning of this year on the program. The government has is optimistic that the numbers won't reach the significant 230,000 people that were laid off from some 900 companies a few years ago in 2008-2009. The big financial crisis. The the huge financial crisis and the big furlough problem, the big unpaid leave problem in Taiwan. And that, of course, caused huge problems. So the government is saying 
probably not going to get that bad, not going to be 2008 bad. Well, mind you, the government said the GDP would stay above 1%. Right. And that doesn't look like it's going to happen. So you know, we can take that with a pinch of salt, I think. So, so, so are we on a trajectory for some dark economic days in Taiwan, or is it too early to say? Well, it's certainly the, the data trend is that things are going to get worse than they are now, right? We, we see data that clearly indicates that GDP growth is going to slow. Taiwan, again, being... A country largely dependent on exports is susceptible to global economic conditions, and the outlook is is uncertain to negative right now. So there probably will be more furloughed people, and they're going to be angry and vote in January. I would I would expect the presidential candidates to take a, a greater interest in this issue and probably promise more goodies for furloughed workers. And uh, does bad economic vibes uh, that that probably helps the opposition more than it helps uh, the blue camp, doesn't it, Gavin? Well, it helps the opposition now, but of course it could all go belly up if the opposition wins and it gets worse. I guess it depends on the timing, yeah. The opposition becomes the ruling party and the ruling party now becomes the opposition. So, And ultimately it will come down to, you know, do, do, on these programs, are they teaching people skills to compete in 21st century economy? Beyond that is the government, the new government, whichever party wins, are they going to create conditions to improve, improve the economy here in Taiwan? All right. So that's all going to be rolling out in the next couple of months. But uh, I think that our listeners are probably just about ready to uh, turn this whole program off if we keep talking about economics. So we are done. We're done with economics for today. That's all you're getting. Uh, And we're going to our last story, the silly bit, which is kind of more tragic than silly. The typhoon maybe didn't uproot as many trees or cause as many uh, rivers to flood their banks as uh, the last one did, but it did give us a shot through the heart of the most painful variety possible. It took our Bon Jovi away from us, Gavin. It did. John Bon Jovi should have played two concerts this week in Taipei. In fact, one on Monday and one on Tuesday. Of course, Monday was a typhoon day and a holiday as well. And he got to take it off. And he got to take it off like everybody else. But unfortunately, because Tuesday was a typhoon holiday, he got to take that off as well. And he didn't get to do his concerts in Taipei. Much to the... um, much to the, how would you put this, broken-hearted was how one person put it. So these fans, I'm not a Bon Jovi fan. I won't even try to pretend to be. <laughs> I couldn't name one of his songs at all. But he couldn't play here and people were absolutely heartbroken. Anyway, poor old John, as I'll call him. I don't know him, but John, because it must be his name. You're on first name basis. John, That's all right. Pop, John, of course, couldn't play. And he, he left Taiwan via Songshan Airport, where he had flown on a private jet. So I believe he left Tuesday before the second concert should have happened because it had already been cancelled. <laughs> Didn't even make it there. Yeah, there were some people that were hoping that he would stage some kind of like pub concert oh, or something. Oh, a secret rock concert. A secret rock concert, yes, but yes. didn't happen. He took off. Many of his fans, some 200 of his fans, turned up at the airport and they sang a song to him. And the song is a Chinese song, a Mandarin song entitled The Moon Represents My Heart, and they sang this song to him in farewell. There you go. And apparently it was a song that John Bon Jovi also sang in Mandarin in a video that was posted on the interweb in August of this year, and he dedicated that specific song to his Chinese-speaking fans. Well, for somebody who has sang I'll Be There For You for 25 years, John, you were not there for me. (laughs) When when it came time to withstanding a typhoon, he obviously didn't live by living on a prayer either. No, he didn't live on our prayer. But... So I'm definitely shot through the heart. (laughs) Yeah, you are. And I know who to blame. You do know how to blame. blame. But apparently, of course, John got paid. 
Oh, he did. He did get paid, apparently, because apparently the organisers of the cancelled concerts have estimated losses of 30 million NT. Ouchies. And those costs include concert equipment and facilities, transportation and accommodation for the musicians, and, of course, the processing of ticket refunds. Yep, that's a lot of tickets to refund. And this is all the more galling because uh, Bon Jovi has not been to Taiwan since, I think, 1994, 1995. But he looks the same. <laughs> he sings the same songs. Right, and that, that's what people were waiting for. They were waiting. This was going to be the first time they were going to get to see him in uh, 20 years or so. And then their hopes were dashed. By Typhoon Dujuan. Maybe he'll write a song called Dujuan to Go Away. Dujuan Diddy. The Dujuan yeah. Diddy. Uh, but we're going to have to wait for that uh, and just try to mend our broken hearts. Uh, I guess we're, we're out of Bon Jovi puns. I can't think of any other ones. So we're, uh, I guess that means the show's over. You can send us your thoughts on the week's major stories on the Facebook page or on our blog. You'll also be able to find this program online on the ICRT website and on iTunes. If you are listening through iTunes, please take a second to rate and review the show. It lets us know what you're thinking and helps other people discover the program. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I'm Keith Menconi, joined as always by Gavin Phipps. Thank you, Gavin. Hey, good night. And Ross Feingold, thank you as well. Good night. And thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week. Ni wen